Well, good afternoon. It's good to be with you. Some familiar faces, some old friends. It's good to, to be with you this afternoon to uh, hear the word of God. Can I invite you to take your copy of God's word and turn back to Ezekiel and 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. When I hear the pages stop rustling, we'll pray. Okay, let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Almighty God, we do praise you and thank you that we do come to one who is almighty and we wouldn't dare take that word on our lips in vain. We understand, for the scriptures tell us so, that, that you are the God who can create all things out of nothing. There is nothing that you cannot do. We are dealing with then one who is all-powerful, altogether holy, all-glorious. And we come as needy sinners, we come as people, as men and women, boys and girls, we think of your people of old shaking and trembling when the mountain shook when you spoke. And we pray uh, that this afternoon we would feel the weight of your word within our souls, that you would speak to us powerfully, Lord. We need you so much. We are so often discouraged and downcast and disillusioned about what we see around us. And so we do pray that you would set our eyes on high, that you would lead us to the rock that is higher than we are. We come to you with great longing in our hearts. Break to us the word of life. Speak to us that we would know you and, and love you and worship you and praise you. We pray for your help this afternoon. Help the preacher. Help the, the congregation gathered here, Lord. The, the spirit is willing. We're here. We want to hear from you. But the flesh can so often be weak and distracted. And so, Lord, we ask then for the spirit's work among us. How we need the ministry of the person of the Holy Spirit. Grant him to us, Lord, we pray, that we would know Christ and worship him. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, dear friends, I, I don't think you need me to depress you and tell you that we are living through a dark time as a nation. Um, often there's a danger in events like this. We come together and we just, con we just tell ourselves how bad things really are. There is increasing celebration of ungodliness in the culture around us and we are witnessing the decline of biblical Christianity in the visible professing church there we are that's the problem you all know that is going on we all know what the problem is we can all see the problem the question is how do we respond and I believe there are two responses that we can make and these two responses were both encountered by the prophet Ezekiel and they're both equally dangerous for two different reasons the first response, perhaps less common in churches that I'm assuming are made up in this room, is to play it down and to live in denial. Ezekiel, we are told in chapter 33, was preaching to a people who loved to hear sermons. They, they, they loved to hear Ezekiel preach. They loved to play church. They loved to sing songs. They loved to come together. The problem was they wouldn't listen to a single word that he said they would not receive the diagnosis. And I think that's like much of the modern professing church, isn't it? There, there's an appearance of life, there is crowds, there is singing, there is preaching, there is excitement. But to anyone who's really looking, God is not in the midst. It's all smoke, it's all noise, it's simply bones rattling. There is no breath, there is no ruah in the people. No change, and the communities these churches are in are as dark as they were when they were planted. I was chatting to a, a friend of mine 
who was caught up in the charismatic movement in the 1960s. And he recalled the buzz and the excitement. God was going to move. God was going to show favor to our land. Capacity crowds. And he said to me recently, as a mid-90-year-old man, the communities are darker than they were in the 60s. And in the church, the people are more worldly than they were 40 years ago. But I suspect that is not the problem among us, although there may be some of that. We are, we are more like the second group that Ezekiel faced that he was preaching to, and that is you recognize the problem and you despair. You recognize the problem and you despair. We see the downgrade in the visible church and those who have read a little bit of our history goes, it all started with in Spurgeon's day in the 19th century. We, he saw it coming, lampstands are being removed. Judgment has begun with the house of God. Churches, many churches are simply a church in name only, worldly preaching, worldly worship. And then we look at the nation. Well, it's all Romans 1, isn't it? God has given us over. Ichabod has been written over the church. The glory has departed. And seeing this, it produces the following realities within our souls and within our churches. Firstly, self-pity. I alone am left. And we come together and we pat ourselves on the back that we are the holy remnant that are standing firm. But we feel a little bit self-pity because we think, well, if only we had lived in a different time. Or there's the holy huddle mentality. Let's just, let's just hang in there. Let's just hang in there. Let's just stand firm and not budge an inch. I'm not saying that's a bad thing to stand firm. But it's just defensive. We're not going to move forward. We're not going to advance. We're not going to reach out. There's no point that judgment's on the land. Who, who, why bother? The third is lamentation. And we justify ourselves in this because, of course, there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations, The Weeping Prophet, and we think, well, it's bad. And so you come to pastors, come to fraternals, and, and this is what you hear. It's really bad. You didn't, didn't hear me, did you? It's really bad. And we tell ourselves all the things that are wrong. I once heard some friends of mine went to a church anniversary in a very small church. And when it came to the slot where normally in anniversary services you thank God for his mercies, this individual spent the whole time talking about how hard the culture is, how bad it is, how small the church is, how depressing the whole outlook is. There was no mention of anything to be thankful for, or anything to be optimistic about. And of course the other emotion that can characterise us is despair, isn't it? Only recently I was talking to someone about positive signs I'm seeing in younger people today when you talk to them on the streets and the reply you get is, well, when I was young like you, I used to be optimistic. But you know, there's nothing to be optimistic about. It's just getting worse. Or on another occasion, I was with a group of pastors and I, I was expressing some concern about something. I used to be zealous like you when I was young once. But I've learnt... And if you're a younger man in the ministry and you go to pastor fraternals, this is all you get. And it is hard. Many of us have, and many of you have probably been serving for a very long time and it's been difficult. But what's happening, I believe, is upon us, what's setting into our churches is nothing else. Let's call it what it is. It's unbelief. It's a spirit of unbelief. It was once said of our Lord when he was in Nazareth that he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of his unbelief. Friends, I don't come from the Reformed Church. That's not where I was raised. And yet what grieves me is I see more faith and expectancy that God might do something among people who don't even believe in the doctrines of grace. 
I think God would marvel, I think our Lord would marvel that the churches in the United Kingdom that hold so dear to the fact that God is sovereign, his word is powerful, that by his spirit the dead can be raised are the people who are most despairing about the situation. And therefore I believe this passage in Ezekiel 37 contains what I would call timeless principles. Of course, they, it had a specific bearing um, on the nation of Israel. That's clear from verse 11. The whole um, vision that Ezekiel saw was representative of Israel at the time. And I'm not going to get into the views of your eschatology. This is speaking about a restoration of the nation of Israel and so on. We will not go there. I simply want to draw out that what was true of Israel is true of man generally. And what needed to happen to Israel and what could happen by the power of the word and the power of the spirit can happen in our day and in our age. Firstly then, can you see with me the following? We need to understand what Ezekiel experienced. We need to understand what Ezekiel experienced. And I think we will find some common ground. The situation at the time was utterly desperate. They've been in exile for 10 years or so now. There's no sign of change. Ezekiel's preaching is falling on deaf ears. The city's fallen. The people are led captive. The monarchy seems to have been destroyed. That's all externals. That's all outwards. Internally, they're rebellious, wicked, and godless. No sign of repentance. They were receiving the covenant curses promised in Deuteronomy 28. And how easily, if they were like us, or Ezekiel was like us, what's the point? We're judged. We're under judgment. And the situation of the time led to a particular mood at the time. You see that mood in verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. We ourselves are cut off. Things were so bad that people were saying in Israel, our hope is gone. We have no hope. It's lost to us. We can't even remember a time when we did have hope. We just certainly don't have hope now. Or as it says in Isaiah, where the people said, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord had forgotten, has forgotten me. If you suggested that things could change, if you suggested that there was hope, you, you would have by nature thought, no, it's pie in the sky. This situation is irreversible it would have been inconceivable to an average Jew in exile at this time to even comprehend how the kingdom of God could be restored and yet there was encouraging ministry at the time in the midst of all this judgment Ezekiel was bringing encouragement we read it in Ezekiel 36 God came and brought light into the darkness verse 25 of the previous chapter verse 24 I will take you from among the nations verse 25 I will sprinkle clean water on you I will cleanse you Verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and so on. And why am I doing this? Not for your sakes, verse 32. Not for your sakes. But this must have just seemed wishful thinking. The mood was so low, so bad. A situation like never before in Israel. How could this be better? Now this sentiment has been driven home to me. We've often heard more than one person in the media say, haven't we, concerning the passing of Her Majesty the Queen. We've heard the comment, we will never see the like of her reign again. 
And it struck me. That would have been just like Israel. We will never see what we had before again. We will never see God work in a mighty way. And, and, and what's even more depressing is that we hear that kind of sentiment from Christians. But how do we know? Is God not able to do more than we could think or imagine or conceive? What I find even more interesting, though, is this vision was not primarily firstly for Israel. This vision was for Israel's prophet. He clearly needed this vision, and it comes straight after the previous chapter, which we saw these great promises. This suggests to me that even within the, the heart of the prophet, there was, he was uttering what God had told him to say, but like most preachers today, like me, when I stand in the pulpit, when you go on the streets, you, you know that God is sovereign, and you know that God has got these great promises and the Spirit can move, but within you is this nagging doubt, unbelief. And this is given to Ezekiel. We get a glimpse that this, this, was, this was for Ezekiel's benefit in the question that the Lord asks him in verse 3. When he sees these dry bones, he says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And I, and I find Ezekiel's answer fascinating. Lord, you know. Now, that's interesting. Now, of course, at this stage, he doesn't know what we know about verse 11. He doesn't know what these bones um, represent at this stage. And, of course, if he did, he should have said, yes, because you're going to do what you did in the previous chapter that you told me to say. And yet his answer tells us that he's just like you and I. You know. He's basically saying, well, of course, Lord, you're sovereign. You're almighty. You can do anything. You can create out of nothing. So you could. But he's not saying they will. Because I'm not sure you want to. I'm not sure that you're willing. And like ourselves, we would say, well, could, could God revive England? I believe every single one of you would say, yes. Could God revive the churches? Yes. Could God save souls this coming Lord's Day? Yes. But we're not persuaded that he will. Or that he could. Or that he wants to. In fact, we often believe, I think, that we are more willing than he is willing. That there's more mercy and grace for lost sinners within our own hearts than there is in the God of all grace. So we need this vision that Ezekiel was given. We need to be encouraged. Ezekiel, you've got to put this in the context, is just right where we are as a people in one sense. He's preaching and no one is listening. Just like today. And he wants Ezekiel to know it's through the word of God and the spirit of God that I will bring about this renewal that I promised you in the previous chapter. Now, of course, this, this vision is not a vision of what God will do in the United Kingdom or in the Western Church. It contains specific promises for specific people. But we have to also hold to what Romans tells us. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have, have hope. And as surely, therefore, as Israel was a valley of dry bones, unable to move themselves and, and live, So is our nation. And the same power that worked through Ezekiel as he spoke God's word to these dry bones can work today. And and you might say, yeah, but Ezekiel had a warrant to expect this because of the promises. All right, we have a warrant to expect God to show mercy to sinners. Why? Because he delights in showing mercy. He delights to show mercy. He would rather that the sinner lives. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save good people, 
An upright nation? No, sinners. And in case you've forgotten, sinners are those who are wicked, godless, immoral, confused, lost. And so we, if we understand anything about the heart of our Saviour and his, his passion for lost souls, we would not look at our nation and go, there's no reason to expect God to save sinners. Because the Bible tells us he didn't come to judge. He came to mercy, to show mercy. He didn't come to call the righteous, but the sick. We often look at our society, it's so sick. It's so, it is sick, isn't it? It's so confused. And it's those people Jesus came for. He didn't eat with the Pharisees. He ate with the tax collectors, the harlots, the sinners. The people that we meet on the streets today. And so we have to go beyond what Ezekiel said in verse 3 as we go through the vision. And we have to end up in a place where we say, he's not only able to deal with this problem in our land and in our churches, he's willing. His heart is willing. There are legitimate applications here. We need to therefore see what Ezekiel saw, hear what Ezekiel heard, and do what Ezekiel did. So secondly, we've, we've seen what he experienced. Let's see what Ezekiel saw. He's, he's given a vision. The Spirit of God takes him. I'm not going to get into whether it was a, 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 he actually went to a very real value. It was just a vision, an out-of-body experience. I, I don't necessarily know. But what we can say is he had a vision of dry bones, many dry bones. And indeed, they were very dry. Now note here, the way God deals with Ezekiel's dis- discouragement isn't to just pat him on the back or give him a feel-good experience. It isn't just to lift his mood. It's not to give him a false assurance and say things aren't as bad as you think they are. In fact, he want- the way he's going to give him true assurance is by actually showing him how bad things really are. It's interesting, isn't it? And what he sees of Israel is true of every nation since the fall of man. What he had to see, the Spirit of God has to help us see. What Israel needed is what England needs. And he sees dry bones, many bones scattered all over the place. Hands, feet, toes, fingers, heads, spines, all jumbled up, scattered all over the place. These are not recently... These are not recent bones. These these are deteriorated bones. They're dry. They've been left out there in the sun for a long time. They've been bleached by the sun. This is a a horrific scene. More than that, remember, Ezekiel was from a priestly family. And he would have understood... It was wrong for a priest, wasn't it, to have contact with dead bodies. And he is being given a, a, a vision of... And being passed through the midst of a host of dead bodies... And this was therefore a cursed site. These are cursed bones. They've not been buried. And he would have understood the spiritual significance of this. Deuteronomy 28 says, The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And no one shall frighten them away. So what he's actually seeing here are people who have died because of a judgment. They're judged. This is, this is like us saying we're under judgment as a land. It's just judgment. Now what we conclude, as I was saying earlier, is why bother? We're under judgment. No, God takes Ezekiel to a place of cursed bones. This is a hopeless sight. They're unrecognisable. You couldn't, you couldn't recognise anything about any of them. 
who they were, what they were like, how they lived. You couldn't imagine their former condition. It was such a great fall. And these vision, the vision's interpretation is these bones are the whole house of Israel. These bones, therefore, picture the spiritual and uh, external condition of the house of Israel. They're dead. There is no spiritual life. They are unrecognizable from prior times. The faith of Abraham, the faith of their fathers is not in them. They once had a distinct culture and a distinct worship and it's gone. And this vision could adequately describe many churches, couldn't it? Pulpits have been removed for entertainment. There's no, there's, there's no, recogni- there's, there's no resemblance between the situation now and the situation as it was. But here is where the hope comes. God wants, as you can see, yeah, it is bad. They're dead. But what God showed Ezekiel concerning Israel has been true of man in every age. When we hear reformed people say, well, people are harder to reach now than they used to be to reach. People are hard, it's harder for people to believe the gospel today than it used to be. What are we saying? Do we even understand total depravity that we profess to believe? Do we even grasp the fact there are no such thing as sinners who are slightly alive? You're either alive or you're dead. What Ezekiel saw of Israel in view of their judgment is what is true of the United Kingdom today and in Spurgeon's day. And in Martin Lloyd-Jones' day. It hasn't, it's not like there was some life and now there's no life. No, unless, they were, unless people were born again, they were spiritually lost, dead, unable to be saved of themselves. <clears throat> Things may externally appear worse, but the heart of man has become no more wicked than at any point in history. What Ezekiel needs to see happen is what we need to see happen. It's what has always needed to happen in sinners. One commentator says the truth at the heart of this passage is that the unregenerate man is dead. He has no power to effect a change of heart than does a skeleton. Friends, if we suggest that it's easier to say sinners now than it was, harder to say sinners now than it used to be, we rob God of his glory in times past. We're saying it wasn't too hard for the Lord to save people under Spurgeon's ministry. It was still an almighty move of God awakening spiritually dead sinners through Charles Haddon Spurgeon. It wasn't his gifting, it wasn't his eloquence, it wasn't his circumstances. It was God at work, causing dry bones to live. Sinners today are no less under the curse and judgment and law of sin than sinners in times past. We have not reached a a point where things are any worse in the heart of man than they were a hundred years ago. And the same miracle Ezekiel needed is the same miracle that occurred in the New Testament times when Paul preached. We say, oh, well, you know, there's homosexuality now and there's all sorts of, there's drunkenness now. Paul said to the Corinthians, do you not know? The idolaters, the drunkards, the homosexuals, the sodomites, the covetous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. The miracle Paul saw through his preaching is the same miracle that we need to see uh, today. Whether men be drunk or sober, 
outwardly moral or not, church of England or pagan, heterosexual or homosexual, in the spiritual world, they are spiritually dead and unrecognisable from their original design made by God in the beginning. And their destiny will be the same unless God moves mightily. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, let, the, let not, therefore, the greater viciousness of a people or their greater hardness of heart ever stand in our way, but let us say to them, dry as they are, you dry bones live. I believe Spurgeon would rebuke us all for saying they're just so dead. There's no point. Exactly. It's always been that way. The question is, do we believe God can do anything? So we need to see what Ezekiel saw. Thirdly, we need to hear what Ezekiel heard. And he's asked a searching question. Can these dry bones live? And God will say to you this afternoon, your son, your daughter, your family, can they live? But they're spiritually dead. I know, but can they live? Can that foul-mouthed neighbour live? Can that militant anti-Christian politician be saved? Can that LGBT activist bow the knee to Jesus Christ? At the funeral on Monday, when scripture is read, can politicians there and then come under conviction of sin? Or do we really believe it when we say the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword? Could Israel live then? No, not apart from a move of God. Can England live today? Can churches be revived today? No, not apart from a mighty move of God. He could have said, ah, but this nation is so wicked. Why would God do anything here? There has never been a time when man by nature wasn't wicked. It must always be of grace. It must always be of mercy. It was that way from the very beginning when God made coverings for Adam and Eve and it has been that way ever since. I came not to call the righteous but sinners. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Rather, we should look at our culture around us and say, why would God not work? You could say, oh, this land is ripe for judgment. It's also ripe for mercy. And actually, in asking God to move, and in asking God to make dry bones live, in asking God to pour out his spirit, we're actually saying, God, be who you are. Be who you are. Why was it that God was going to raise Israel? Because they were his people. And he bore a special relationship to him. And the world has not ended. Jesus has not come again. The sun has risen today. There are his people in our land, in our cities and in our towns. And whilst there are his people, he will work. He will move. But do you hear what else he heard? Not just a question. He heard an instruction. And it was a shocking instruction. Verse 4, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Preach to these dry bones. And Ezekiel must be, well, I've been doing that a lot lately with Israel. But the image is actually graphic, isn't it? Preach to these dry bones. It would make more sense to preach to a deaf person than to preach to bones. Because deaf people have ears. It would make more sense to preach to an animal than to preach to dry bones. Because animals can hear you. 
preach to dry bones. If you saw someone standing on a street corner preaching to a skeleton or a corpse, you would say, I better get the police. This person's gone out of his mind. I better get a doctor. This person needs help. And yet this is what God says to his people. This is what God says to Ezekiel. This is what God says to the church. Preach to spiritually dead corpses. He asks Ezekiel to do what is crazy. Because God's way always is a humbling way for men and women to to take part in. That's why preaching is called the foolishness of God. But the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. The weakness of God is greater than the, the strength of men and women. Of course it makes us look foolish. That's why God wants us to do it, because he gets all the glory. How Ezekiel needed to hear this this time? He's been labouring day after day, week after week, and he has not had a good time. And yet he hears again, he hears again afresh, Ezekiel, the way this, this, this great recovery is going to occur is through you speaking the word of God. It's always been this way. One preacher once said, God had one son and he made him a preacher. And he went about preaching repentance. The apostles, Mark 16, verse 20, they went out and preached everywhere and the Lord worked with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What we need, dear friends, is a fresh confidence to preach and speak and gossip and share the word of God. And therefore, fourthly, we must do what Ezekiel did. We've seen what Ezekiel saw. We've heard what Ezekiel heard. We must now do what Ezekiel did. Speak the word of God. Verse 7, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and suddenly a rattling and the bones came together bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. There's no magic here. There's no spells. There's no gimmicks. There's no personality. Just the word of God. All he has is thus saith the Lord. He's actually testing Ezekiel's faith, isn't he? And he said to the dry bones, which had no ears, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the warnings, hear the instructions, hear the laws, hear the promises. What would happen if we simply let loose what God has said before spiritually dead souls? This could happen. If you are a true Christian, it's what happened to you. But it's very tempting to modify what God has said slightly. Do you notice he had to say exactly what he was given to say? I heard an evangelical preacher who I know and respect in many ways, but he said to me, there are certain things in God's word I wouldn't mention in the open air. I wouldn't say homosexuality is a sin. So basically what you're saying is you won't say, hear the word of the Lord to your situation. If we modify, and it's very tempting to modify God's commandments, even in reformed churches, even in reformed pulpits, very tempting to slightly modify the commandments of God. And we will not see souls saved unless we let the word of God in its entirety loose. So he preaches the word of God, but that's not all he does. He prays for the Holy Spirit. See that in verse 9? Because there's a rattling, but there's no life. Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, 
O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. It's not enough to say all we need is the word. We need the Spirit of God. We really do need the Spirit of God. The word can cause a disturbance. It can cause a rattling. You can go in the open air and you can form a crowd and people can get angry and there can be a commotion. But unless the Spirit of God comes, there will be no life. And he's not just praying, oh, would the Spirit move slightly? This, this prayer, the, the breath from the four breath from the four winds, north, east, south, west, in other words, the Spirit of God that fills all the earth and works in all the earth needs to now be, that, all that omnipotent power needs to be concentrated on these dry bones. Nothing less will do than this. But again, this, this is bold praying, isn't it? This is, this is fa- praying in faith. He's not seen this before, and yet he... He calls for the Spirit, doesn't he? He calls for the Spirit to come and to move. And so must we in these days, until he does. I remember hearing, you may have heard this, this story, it's a true story, but there was a, in the early days of the Salvation Army, there was a, a man who was sent out to a remote place to start a mission station. And he was worked very diligently, knocking on the doors, activity, activity, activity. And, and he saw no fruit, he saw no blessing, he preached uh, sound sermons. And he wrote to William Booth and said, you know, I'm seeing no fruit. And William Booth wrote back and said, have you tried tears? Have you got desperate where you're begging of God to come down and move? Have you tried tears? Well, he carried on knocking on the doors and he got to the last door on the street and a little old lady came to the door and she opened the door and she shut the door and he sat on the step and he wept. He then went to preach the following day at the gospel meeting and who was sitting in the seats? It was the little old lady from the house on the last house on the street that he knocked on. And he said to her at the end after she was born again, he said, What brought you here? I heard you weep. How we need to cry out to God. There is a a desperation here. Come from the four winds. Oh, breathe and breathe on these slain that they might live. We have no other hope than the sovereign move of God. And therefore our praying should should reflect that, that burden. Do we pray with that persistency? Are we earnest in our praying? Or do we just go through our prayers like the Anglicans do in their liturgy? Do you know, is there, is there true wrestling with God? Is there calling on God for God to move? The fact that there's so little praying like that shows there's so little faith for it. Because you only pray like that when you have faith that God will hear you. When the Son of Man comes on the earth, will he find faith? Will he find people praying with persistence, praying with tears? When the Word and Spirit work together, We see what happens. Behold, God at work. Verse 10. I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. What you have just witnessed here is recreation. God spoke and formed Adam from the dust of the ground. And in the spirit breathed life into Adam. You had man made in the image of God, 
body and soul, a living being. And what has just happened here is that same miracle again, depicted in this valley of dry bones. Ezekiel has seen dead people brought to life. And friends, that is exactly, this is why it's a legitimate use of the passage. That is exactly the way it's always been. That's the only way the church has grown through preaching to dry bones. There have been no, there's been nothing else but dry bones. 2 Corinthians 4 says, It is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If God is able to recreate Israel, he can bring life to our spiritually dead attendants, attenders on the Sunday and Thursday morning. He can bring life to those in our families. He can bring life to this nation. I'll tell you why they're wrong to say that the like of her, her majesty the queen will never be seen again. It's because they have forgotten what God can do. They have forgotten that it is very possible that God could so move in our churches and move in our land and so transform the nation that there is someone who fears God and reigns for 70 years. You can only say that if you believe there's no such thing as a living God at work in the world. And what I would say to you is whilst God's word has been preserved and it will be kept pure in every age, we're told we know that, whilst God's word is in in the world, there will be life given to dead sinners. It's interesting, isn't it, that when Paul's writing to Timothy, um, the apostles are dying off at this point. Those who had the authority to do signs and wonders, they're they're leaving the scene, they're leaving the stage. And and Timothy's facing a difficult situation. He's warned the time will come when there will be people that won't endure sound doctrine. What is Paul's marching orders to Timothy? I charge you before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and the day of his appearing, preach the word. And that's a charge that comes to every minister, but it comes to all churches. It is our responsibility to ensure that the word of God goes out from Zion. Paul saying that to Timothy because there's no other way to bring life to spiritually dead sinners. So when you go back to your churches and when you go back to your locations, are you going to go back depressed, despondent, miserable? If we've really taken to heart what God does by his word and spirit, the situation as it is could change in a moment. If for all our activity over decades, you could have been serving faithfully for the Lord Jesus 60 years and in your, the last year of your life, you see God do more than he did in all your life. Being a Christian, friends, should be the most exciting life. We should wake up every day not knowing what God might do today. What God might accomplish today. I know this because there was a time in my life where I was lost. I was in my sins. I was living in bondage. And there was a day when God said to my soul, live. And my life has never been the same since then. Some of of us have people in our churches that have been sitting unconverted for 13, 15, 20 years. And we despair. Why? They could be saved tomorrow. God's only got to say live. The Spirit's only got to come on the word. Are you expectant? Or do you just let the charismatics be expectant? Do we just... 
Well, Spurgeon would have preached with much more eloquence, but I will close with an extended quote from Spurgeon, because he would agree with what I've said. Listen to this. Take heart, be encouraged. If what I've said is not is gone over your heads, listen to this. Decayed churches can most certainly be revived by the preaching of the word accompanied by the heavenly breath from the four winds. Yes, dry bones can live. Under the preaching of the word, the vilest sinners can be reclaimed. The most stubborn wills can be subdued. The most unholy lives can be sanctified. When the holy breath comes from the four winds, when a divine spirit descends to own the word, then multitudes of sinners, as on Pentecost, hallowed day, stand up on their feet, an exceeding great army to praise the Lord. The way in which God restores a nation is practically the way in which he restores an individual. The way in which Israel shall be saved is the same way which any individual sinner shall be saved. We might see greater things if we could believe. All things are possible to him that believes, but as of old, the Lord Jesus cannot do many mighty works nowadays because of our unbelief. We hamper the arm of God's grace. We do, as it were, restrain the almighty energy. Oh, for greater faith to believe that nations may be born in a single day. That multitudes may be turned unto God at once and shall yet see what our fathers never saw and what our imaginations never dreamed. We shall leap from victory to victory, marching on from one triumph to another until we meet the all-glorious Saviour. Charging enemy after enemy and routing army after army, we shall go on conquering and to conquer until we salute him who comes upon the white horse of triumph, followed by the armies of heaven. Brethren, be of good courage in your work of faith and labour of love. It shall not yet be in vain in the Lord. It was Ezekiel's word that brought life to Israel. He may not have seen it. But it's still here today, isn't it? And this word is living today and giving life to spiritual Israel. That great multitude that no man can number. So I hope we, none of us will go home depressed, doom and gloom, always speaking about how bad things are. Let's take one another in hand. And if you see that spirit of unbelief in your churches, there's giants in the land. You need to say to them, no giant is greater than God. God is able. There's nothing too hard for him. His arm is not shortened that he cannot save. My, my own view of things is that I think not that I've, I've lived long enough and I haven't been to every church, but I have to say I see more depression and despondency in Reformed Evangelical churches than anywhere else. And it's the one place where it should not be found. It should not be found among us. Could it, could it be that we are not seeing mighty works because there's no faith in Israel? And, and I know we're nervous of saying that because we think of the Pentecostals. <laughs> We get very nervous with that kind of talk. But it is true. We have to hold the Bible open and say it is true. God uses men and women of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. How can a reformed man in the pulpit preach and expect souls to be saved if he doesn't believe God wants to save souls? It doesn't please God when there's no faith. And so I hope you've been both encouraged but also challenged. I hope you've been challenged and feel, I feel a rebuke from the scriptures. Maybe you've been in this sort of stupor for a long time. It's very hard to snap out of it, isn't it? Especially when you look around you. There's no comfort looking at dry bones. 
Comfort is found in saying, thus says the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its timeless relevance. We thank you that what Ezekiel saw and heard and did can be experienced in our day and age. Some of us have seen it. We've seen it in our own lives. We've seen it in ones and twos. But how we long for a great move of God. How we long that the word of God would come with the power of the Holy Spirit and that we would see a great army of men and women, boys and girls, young and old, committing themselves, yielding their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith. Give us faith, Lord, to believe that you can do this. Would we not just be a people who are just standing as to not give way, though we must stand and take a defensive posture? Would we be a people that advance? Would we be a people that take the sword of the Spirit, which is living and active? Would we go confident? Would we have an excitement whenever we speak it, whenever we share it, to know that when we open up this book, anything could happen? The hardest sinner in our town could become the softest and humblest saint in the church. Father, forgive our unbelief, Lord. We beg of you, have mercy on us. Forgive your servants who preach the word. They're the biggest culprits. We are the biggest, uh, the, the, the most guilty in this area. And so we ask for your mercy, Lord. Revive your church, Lord, in the midst of the years. Send your word out of Zion once again. With the nation that dwells in darkness, see a great light. And we pray ahead of that funeral on Monday. No doubt there'll be a lot of liturgy. But there will be prayer and expect there, there will be the word of God. It will be read. And we pray the spirit of God would come upon those as they read it. And that there would be searching of heart. That there would be conviction of sin. We pray that you might use this great event that we have just lived through. To cause there to be a great seeking after the word of God. Once again. We ask these things in Jesus name. Amen.